ho, ho. Merry Fishmas. Yeah, I hope you're enjoying that playlist. Whatever kind of shit you celebrate. Yeah, Jake made a fun playlist of fun holiday tunes that's on our Spotify page. If you want to check that out and play it for the kids today, (laughs) we are going to be talking about Drowning Pool, which I fucking loved this band. I guess they're still around. Yeah, I I loved them. I must have been The wrestling thing? I think I found them through there. When I was a kid, that's honestly... That's where I found a lot of music. I would say, other than wrestling, mm-hmm. you were probably the biggest musical influence in my life, but that wasn't until later. Like, I really didn't start listening to metal uh, until college, and that right. was probably because of you. But before that, I kind of, like, got into some hard rock stuff through wrestling, and I would... They had all these different pay-per-views, and all the wrestlers had their entrance themes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Power Man 5000... All those kind of new medley, yeah, late two thousand or late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, and then it was like early shine down, early disturbed. I would buy the albums. Like I I would try to, I would illegally download a lot (laughs) of their songs first, and if it was somebody I liked, I would buy the album. And every song that I illegally downloaded on LimeWire from uh, Drowning Pool, I was like, I fucking love this shit. So I went and bought their CDs and I would give them to everybody for like birthday presents and they were like I don't want this I'm like trust me you do <laughs> you do want this believe me but they had like they had a shitload of awesome songs definitely if you like uh, early 2000s hard rock borderline metal type stuff look into this band because they have some really good shit anyways alright so this is from loudersound.com and it's by Rich Hobson and it is about their song, Bodies. The title is, I'd play Bodies five times a night if people really wanted it that bad. How a misunderstood mosh anthem and patronage by Sharon Osbourne made Drowning Pool new metals, new superstars before tragedy snatched it all away. Um, and if you guys aren't familiar just by the title of Bodies, it's the it's Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. Yeah, it's Everybody the one that, knows that song, right? Yeah, the, the old dude in his 90s did it on a... a America's Got Talent or some shit like that. Well, I'm going to have to watch that. You haven't seen that one? No. Yeah. It's... No, there's tons of remakes of this. <laughs> it's it's a great fucking song. Yeah. Um, it's on video games. It's on fucking mm-hmm. soundtracks. It's a really good one. All right. So go listen to it first, and then we'll talk about it. We've done a couple of song history ones on here, and the, those are the rules. All right. <laughs> Drowning Pool's breakout single, Bodies, just might be the ultimate new metal anthem. Even well over 20 years on from release, the song maintains a near ubiquitous presence in metal clubs. Where are metal clubs? I want to go to one. Uh, bars. Huh? I was going to say, isn't there one not far from here? Is there? Are you talking about Riff House? Riff House. That is not a club. Is it a club? <laughs> I mean, it's I've a... only seen shitty metal shows there. <laughs> it could be a club if uh, that's all your people going to. All five of them. Um, <laughs> anyways, metal clubs, bars, and gig playlists right across... Right across the planet, okay? An unabashed love letter to mosher culture, the song arose during the golden age of new metal. Proof positive that any new band could fly from obscurity to stardom with the right song. Only Drowning Pool never really saw themselves as a new metal band. None of them did. What? None of, none of the new metal bands oh, yeah. thought they were new metal. They just got all grouped into that, that genre. Yeah, I mean, they don't really sound like 
any of the other bands that were grouped into the genre that also don't consider themselves new metal. Right. <laughs> uh, we actually always wanted to be Pantera, admits bassist Stevie Benton. But by the time our first album came out, bands like Limp Bizkit and Korn were popular. So when Bodies became really popular, the logic was that we also must be a new metal band like Limp Bizkit. It was Pantera that lured guitarist C.J. Pierce and drummer Mike Luce away from their home scene in New Orleans in 1996, leaving behind mostly blues and a few death metal bands for the groove metal scene that had arisen in Dallas in Texan groove metal titans wake. There, the pair connected with Stevie and Drowning Pool formed as an instrumental three-piece. They later found the missing ingredient in vocalist Dave Williams, the singer providing the requisite snarls to complement their tight grooves, but also crucially bringing with him a gregarious party animal vibe that cemented their reputation as a killer live band. Dave was a real firecracker, Stevie adds. You just never knew what was going to happen. The life of every party to the point where if there wasn't a party, he would create one just to become the life of it. Hmm. And there's a picture of him here with a t-shirt that is like the Enjoy Coca-Cola shirts, but it says Enjoy Satan. And uh, he's got his hair gelled into two little devil horns. And he's got the... Uh, Goatee. <laughs> The goatee and the sideburns. Oh, God, what a terrible combo. <laughs> but we shall not speak ill of the dead. <laughs> okay, now a four-piece. Drowning Pool began honing the material that would eventually become their debut album, Sinner, which is a great fucking album, while playing any open spot they could find in Texas or neighboring states, Louisiana and Oklahoma. In the early days, the band's interests were less about global conquest and more how they could fund their party lifestyle. Oh, well... You got to set some goals. Realistic goals. Realistic goals. And that's fun. You know, we got (laughs) to pay the beer bill. Yeah. So (laughs) I love it. We had this huge, well thought out plan for how to get a free bar tab, Stevie says. As things progressed and we built up a crowd, we started getting paid for gigs. That's a big step right there. That's the life, you know, (laughs) just kind of stumbling in and like, we're just here for the free beer. And and now we are international superstars. (laughs) Fucking awesome. As things progressed and we built up a crowd, we started getting paid for gigs. Of course, then we would see this thing where a promoter would come along like, hey, I was going to pay you 200 but you guys drank the bar tab and then drank another 300 So you owe me 100 <laughs> Wow. Even when they made a loss, they were having the time of their lives. In turn, the crowds were growing at a rate where the band had moved from playing to the bartenders and their girlfriends to 500 or 600 people a night. It was here that the band first got the idea to write an ode to the wild crowds they would play to. We played shows where people were just everywhere, Stevie says. Climbing on the stage, into the rafters, and diving off. That's where this let the bodies hit the floor idea first came in. Uh, yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever been to a show like that? What? A lot of moshing? Rafter climbing? No. There was this group I saw at Bonnaroo, of all places, where it's like this peace and love fucking hippie festival. Mm -hmm. And this group called the Orwells was performing on this little, like, cafe stage. I mean, they had, like, bean bags and shit. Mm -hmm. And it was the smallest stage in the place. And people are just supposed to go there and chill and relax during the day. And it's like coffee house vibes. Okay. The Orwells are like, they're kind of like a punk band. Right. And they started going and people fucking lost their mind. They were like crowd surfing in the beanbags across. The, everyone's climbing up the rafters, climbing on stage, hanging off of the shit. Like, isn't this an outside? Yeah. Fest? How are there rafters? So holding up like the front of the stage had rafters kind of going over. Okay. You know, so those, they're, they're climbing the, 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 the stage thing. 
they're, you know, they're, they're climbing the stage structure. Yeah, but there was okay. also a structure where all the beanbags and shit were under. That was yeah. like a shaded, like a tent, like a large tent, maybe. They had those metal structure things yeah. holding up this canopy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this that's what I was saying. Canopy yeah. that kind of shaded the crowd, yeah. and people climbed up the metal things and we're standing on top of the canopy with people oh, underneath them like we were under it and we were like we should probably fucking move <laughs> yeah if this shit that's rips, not good it was crazy and like just throwing shit and surfing all this furniture out because they had to make room for all the people that were trying to get up there it was crazy hmm. so that's kind of what i'm imagining mosh pits multiple mosh pits crowd surfers surfing items out climbing everything it was right. fucking destructive it was the craziest thing i've ever seen so seems like that's what their shows are we had this one friend that always tried to stage dive, even if there were only like nine people in the crowd, which guaranteed <laughs> he was going to hit the floor pretty much every time, CJ recalls. One time he jumped off and shattered his knee in four places. Jesus Christ. Based around a riff CJ had written while the band were still a three-piece, the song existed in various demos before taking its final shape. I'm going to have to try and find some of those. Dave already had the idea with the count-in, but there are different early versions of bodies where we didn't know quite what to say, Stevie says. There's versions where he's just making things up between the numbers. Uh, yeah, where he says, one, nothing wrong with me, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, there's one where he pretends to answer a telephone for whatever reason. <laughs> be funny. Drowning Pool ultimately got signed by Wind Up Records, home of post-grunge superstars Creed. Hell yeah, brother. Surprisingly, it wasn't the song for which they became best known that grabbed the label's attention. We recorded this song, Tear Away, that local radio stations really liked and ended up playing lots, Stevie says. But when Wind Up heard the full record, they said they were going with Bodies as the first single instead. Straight away, I thought, that's it. Our career is ruined before we've even started. It shows what I fucking know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm tearing away. I mean, it's it's a good song, but it's kind of slow. Released on May 14th of 2001, Bodies steadily climbed its way up the charts, ultimately peaking in the U.S. when it hit number six. Not coincidentally, the song's ascent up the charts coincided with Drowning Pool's appearance on the 2001 OzFest tour, where they joined the likes of Black Sabbath, Slipknot, and Linkin Park in a trek across North America. Sharon Osbourne ended up moving us up the bill of Ozfest while we were on the tour, CJ says. We did the Jägermeister tour straight after, then music as a weapon with Disturbed. These were huge arena crowds, but every night we'd go out and do bodies and you'd see the whole place go up. With heavy radio and MTV play, bodies looked like elevating Drowning Pool to metal's top tier. Yet the events of 9-11 halted the song's ascent. U.S. radio conglomerate Clear Channel adding it... Oh, shit, we just did an episode on this. Mm -hmm. Adding it to a list of songs unofficially banned in the wake of the attacks on the Twin Towers, deeming its lyrics inappropriate. In turn, they kick-started a trend for misinterpreting the song's lyrics to link to acts of violence. Again, taking things out of context. Yeah. And banning them. Yeah, that sucks. That really sucks for this group. Um, It always really frustrated me... That people took this song that was about kids at a rock show and put all these negative connotations on it, Stevie says. When Clear Channel just struck it off, they made it seem like there was a reason for it to be banned. It took away the ambiguity of the song and people's ability to decide on the meaning for themselves. Um, Oh, our episode for that was on Patreon. So I feel like I should mention that. Uh, We just did one 
about 10. Well, it said it was 10. It was actually nine because I tried to number them up and it was only nine fucking songs. So whoever wrote that article, it's kind of dumb. Did we skip one? No. No, I went back and I looked at the article too because I was like, am I stupid? (laughs) It was only nine. (laughs) Uh, Nine songs that were banned from radio and why is on our Patreon. Yeah. Anyways, no, Bean. Hmm. Worse was to come. On August 14th of 2002, Dave Williams was found dead on the band's tour bus in a stop-off in Manassas, Virginia on that year's OzFest. Not that far from us. No. The cause of death was cardiomyopathy, a heart condition that had gone undiagnosed. He was just 30 years old. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I never really knew how he died. I I thought it was a heart thing, but... I don't really know anything about him other than I know I heard the music. Yeah. Um... Dave was an incredibly loving guy, CJ says. His personality really helped people connect with the music, and I don't think we'd have got the support we did without him. He loved getting to know people, whether it was the fans, other bands, or the guys in the bar. To this day, I hang out and watch every band because of what Dave taught me. It's a rock and roll show, and everybody's there to have a good time. In November of 2002, the band commemorated their fallen bandmate with the documentary Cinema, featuring tributes from fans. Proceeds from the movie's sale were set aside to help purchase a retirement home for Dave's parents, something he told the band was a dream for him. Though Drowning Pool continued after Dave's death, they spent much of the 2000s in a state of identity crisis, working with a number of other singers, including Soils, Ryan McCombs, until they finally stabilized their lineup with Jason Moreno in 2012. A local boy who played in other groups when Drowning Pool were starting out, Jason admits his long-standing relationship with the band, and Dave Williams in particular, makes Bodies a particularly poignant song to play live. Bodies is my absolute favorite part of the set, Jason says. That song was undeniable when it came out. We all knew that. So being in the position to be on stage singing it with the fans is unreal. Though Bodies has continued to be misinterpreted, in the mainstream media from time to time in the two decades since its release, including reports that it was used by interrogators at Guantanamo Bay detention camps and was linked to the 2011 shooting of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. What? Okay, its true meaning has been embraced by the culture that inspired it in the first place. I've heard the Guantanamo Bay thing, and like, I don't think it would bother me. Yeah, I've I've heard of the the government using rock music to and pop music to torture other people from other I mean, cult- dude, cultures and stuff. Tiptoe through the tulips that will make you go fucking insane. This song's good. I would be like, oh, we're listening to it again. <laughs> Let's fucking go. I mean, I would love it. Uh, played anywhere from clubs, gigs, and bars to wrestling shows. <laughs> there you go. That's where I come in. MMA tournaments and even America's Got Talent. There you go. Mm-hmm. Bodies is rightly hailed as a bona fide anthem for metal culture, not just Drowning Pool's biggest song, but one of the all-time great metal club anthems. Unlike so many other bands, however, Drowning Pool doesn't re- don't resent being immediately associated with their big hit. I've never really understood that thing where a band doesn't want to play their biggest song live, CJ says. I'd play Bodies five times a night if people really wanted it that bad. I find it really cool when you get young fans coming to a show and saying, I just got into that song, Bodies. It's awesome. Because to them, it doesn't matter that the song is 20 years old. They're hearing it just now for the first time. It's a gateway. Yeah. A lot of music is like that for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And like I see that stuff all the time uh, where bands hate their lead single. And I have to start like writing it down and 
making a list of it because there are some that really fucking hate like the song that got big mm. and some one hit wonders where they only had one song but they love doing it i feel like we talked about somebody recently who they said that oh i guess it was king king lizard is that their name I think so. Something along God those lines. Damn, I don't remember exactly it. either. We rec- a couple months ago, we did an episode on detachable penis. That's it. King Missile. Damn, I feel like a dick. <laughs> yeah, and their whole issue was they were mad that people didn't remember their name, but they remembered detachable penis. So they would play it at the beginning of the show. Uh, and yeah, I think Smashing Pumpkins is kind of like that too. They'll like They don't want people to be there for their biggest songs billy corgan doesn't want to play 1979 for everybody yeah because i think they (laughs) they're like the real artistic musical type and they're like i'm so much more than this one song whereas these guys they're just trying to party and have a good time and they're like we love this fucking song that's why we wrote this song is because it's fun so if you guys are having fun we're fucking having fun right and they have other like really good music to back it up so yeah I think that is the legacy of bodies, Stevie adds. Even now, whenever somebody needs a shot of adrenaline and to psych somebody up, that is the go-to song over everything else. It's a shot in the arm that will get you pumped up. Looking at pretty much any dance floor at a metal club over the past 20 years, we're inclined to agree. we got to get a metal dance club Dance here. floor at a metal club. That's, uh, that's Yeah. You know they'd be playing <laughs> Ramstein and shit? But they probably do it at like goth night. They have a couple of goth nights around here. I just, that's just a funny image. Dance floor at a, at a metal club. That's what I'm here for. It's just a bunch of dudes with long hair and, and jean vests headbanging. No, if it was more <laughs> danceable, then I think the I think the bitches would come. Oh. I would go. I would fucking go because I'd be like, you know, like the goths under the bridge. <laughs> I think that's what it would be like. Yeah, so Dave Williams found dead uh, from heart disease. Okay, and Jason Jones, this guy, because I knew they had gone through a couple of singers, Mm -hmm. and I had an album after Dave Williams, which was Desensitized, came out in 2004. And when I was a kid, like, I did not know that it was a different vocalist. Like, I I couldn't tell the difference between their voices. And then I found out that the, yeah, I found out that the first guy died, and I was like, what the fuck? And then they came out, with the guy in 2012 who sounds completely different. I mean, it's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not the voice that I'm used to hearing. And yeah. the first two guys had such similar voices, at least from what I recall, that uh, I, I couldn't even tell the difference. It was like the same energy. Yeah. See, that that can, that can, that can be a huge miss there if you're, you know, when you expect one voice and it's not there. It changes the whole feel of the, the group yeah. and the music. If I recall correctly... The one that they came out with, uh, with this guy, Jason Moreno, to me, it sounded a little bit more like uh, Alice in Chains vocals. Hmm. That is that. Let the body sit the floor. Listen to it. Listen to Drowning Pool because they're a great fucking band. Uh, definitely go back to the early albums and check out Jake's Christmas playlist. Yes, you'll have fun with that one. Play yes. it for your people at work. They will enjoy it. Yeah, well, it is Christmas Day, so... As soon as these people go back to work, unless they are unfortunately working on Christmas Day, which sucks, and we're sorry oh, for you. Geez. Is that uh, when this is coming out? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, sit, sit at home and enjoy the, the playlist Christmas with your family. Christmas Day is on a Monday. Yeah, as you're opening presents, you're probably going to open presents before you start listening to podcasts, right? I mean, no one's going to listen Who to knows? this on Christmas I mean, Day. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Fuck it. If you're in one of those <laughs> households where people are still going to be listening to Christmas music into January, put that goddamn playlist on. Returning in January with season six, episode one, Randy Rhodes, Roads, the professional wrestler, mm-hmm. <laughs> as Jake thought he was. 
but we learned he is not. <laughs> uh, been talking about Ozzy a lot lately. He's going to be heavily involved in that story. And we hope you stick around for us uh, with us for the full episodes there. A reminder that we do have like probably close to 60 episodes now on our Patreon, which is only $5 a month. And we deliver two new episodes every month. They're generally around like 30 to 45 minutes or sometimes longer. And we've got a bunch of shit up there. So if you want to subscribe to that, it is death. Er, nope. It's patreon.com slash death by podcast team. Other than that, we got some t-shirts. If you want to give somebody a gift for Valentine's Day, the next holiday that's coming up, <laughs> as far as I know, uh, t-shirts, 25 bucks. Send us an email or something. Thanks for listening. Later. Death by Music podcast is written and produced by Alex Motler, Cassie Gardner, and Jake.